allow me to pray this prayer of confession. Father God, you asked for my hands that you might use them for your purpose. I gave them for a moment, then withdrew them, for the work was hard. You asked for my mouth to speak out against injustice. I gave you a whisper that I might not be accused. You asked for my eyes to see the pain of poverty. I closed them, for I did not want to see. You asked for my life that you might work through me. I gave a small part that I might not get too involved. Lord, forgive my calculated efforts to serve you. Only when it is convenient for me to do so. Only in those places where it is safe to do so. And only with those who make it easy to do so. Father, forgive us. Renew us. Send us out as usable instruments of your will. Grant that we may never lose sight of the exceeding glory of Christ, the exceeding beauty of holiness, and the exceeding wonder of grace. We know that you are faithful and trustworthy beyond measure. We can trust you fully. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand again. Oh, nations rage, kingdoms rise and fall. There is still one king reigning over all so i will not fear for this truth remain that my god is the ancient of days none above him none before him all of time in his hands for his throne is shall remain all the power, all the glory, all the trust in his name, for my God is the ancient of days. Though the dead of night overwhelms my soul, he is
let us pray. God of mercy, we come before you acknowledging that we need you. Recognizing, Lord, that we are broken people in need of our great Savior. We come to you, Lord, because there is no hope outside of you. You are the one that our soul needs. Lord, as we open up a scripture this morning, I pray, Lord, that you reveal yourself to us in such a way, Lord, that we understand two things, the magnitude of our sin and the greatness of your love. Lord, I know that this week many of us have gone through different things. I don't know how many of us here this morning are struggling through different things, pain, loss, sickness, issues, financial issues, who knows everything that we have gone through this week. But you know. And I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you minister to us today, that in the midst of our struggle, that in the midst of the storm, just like Jonah found himself in a storm in the midst of all of this. We find hope. We find peace. We find joy. We thank you, Lord, because we are never alone in the midst of the storm. And I pray, Lord, that you open up our eyes so we can see, and you open up our minds so we can understand, and you open up our hearts so we could believe. Lord, please speak to us. Please, Lord, teach us how to be the people that you want us, that you want us to be. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says, Amen. now, before opening up a scripture, opening up a scripture, you know that one of the reasons why we exist is to extend the kingdom. Amen? 
This is part of the reason why the church exists, so we can extend the kingdom of God. Before the preaching of the word, I want to show you a video that explains and reminds us why is it that we exist as a church. And I want you to see how the Lord is using uh, your finances for this expansion of the kingdom. So please come with me, watch this video together. Turkana County in remote northern Kenya is one of the hottest, driest regions in the world. And year over year, decreased amounts of rainfall have put residents at risk of starvation due to drought and famine. And many residents have lost all of their livestock and malnutrition is rampant. It was because of this great vulnerability that 10 years ago, Wheaton Bible Church joined with World Relief and Nairobi's Parklands Baptist Church for relief and development work in this remote area to ensure that intertwined with spreading the gospel and partnering with the local church, these material needs could be met. So I have a, a fun recent story for you from a village in North Turkana where goats, yes, you heard that right, goats are bringing hope to an entire community. In 2019, our partner World Relief gave this community 20 female gala goat crossbreeds. Gala goats are drought resistant, they're specialized, and they're actually sometimes called super goats. It was part of a project known as Share the Gift, and here's how it worked. So in this village, each person received one of the first 20 goats and committed to gifting the first female offspring from their goat to another equally vulnerable person in the community. Each person who received a goat would also commit to gifting the next first female goat offspring to another person. So this gift keeps multiplying throughout the village. And this is what is happening because by late 2020, the initial 20 goats had produced offspring and their owners stayed true to their commitment and are gifting their first female offspring to others. And so households that have received uh, a gala goat are enjoying the increased milk production, which has positively impacted nutrition, particularly among young children, pregnant women, and nursing mothers. Now church, this is only a tiny slice of our Hope Kenya initiative and all that God is doing in Kenya, made possible by your giving and prayers. But this is a beautiful example of how God can take something small and multiply it through his people, through his church, and in Jesus' name to bring hope, life, and transformation. And so thank you, church, for your continued prayers and generosity. After running away from God's mission and finding himself in the belly of a fish, Jonah cried out to God for help. Jonah recognized that he had been driven from God's presence and that his prayers had been answered when the fish saved him from drowning. Jonah praised God for saving him. How about if we give the Lord a round of applause again? Because we got interrupted before. Um, I want you to see yourself as people that is really contributing to the kingdom. See, we don't give because we have to. We give because we want to. 
See, we don't give because it's an obligation, even though it could be seen as an obligation. We give because the Lord uses the, our generosity for the expansion of the kingdom. So if you are already part of the church that is sustaining, part of, part of the group that is sustaining the church financially, we want to thank you and we pray that the Lord continue to use you and bless you through your generosity. But if you're not there yet, I want to invite you to participate. The kingdom is worth it. And part of the reason why the Lord is giving you so much is so we actually do the things that the Lord has called us to do, like the stuff that the Lord is allowing us to do in partnership with churches in Kenya. Amen? All right, now, good morning, familia. My name is Hannibal Rodriguez, one of the teaching pastors here at church, and I wanted to welcome you, all of you, all of, all of those of you that are here on campus, and also welcome all of you uh, that are worshiping with us online. It is so nice to see your faces, and for those of you that are worshiping online, um, I pray that we get to see you soon. Amen. All right, today we are in part three of this summer series based on the book of Jonah. And, if, uh, and I wanted to give you a little bit of a, of a context what the book of Jonah is. So Jonah is one of the minor prophets in the Bible in the Old Testament. And he, just in case, if you're not familiar with the concept of a prophet, it is important that you understand why the prophets were so important and why was it such a hard thing that the, the, the prophet Jonah did not want to respond to God's call. See, a prophet in the Old Testament was someone that was called to represent God to the people. Part of the, ro the role or the job of the prophet was to speak to God's people on behalf of God. The Lord is calling this man, Jonah, a prophet of the Lord, chosen by God, to speak to the people of Nineveh so they hear about God, they repent, and they come into a saving relationship with God. What is interesting about Jonah, though, is that even though he knew God, he had some sort of relationship with God, he knew the word of God, he is walking away from God's call and from God himself. Actually, the Bible tells us that he's running away from God. So the question that we ask in the Bible this morning is this. What is it that Jonah needed to experience in order for his heart to change? Let me ask the question again. What is it that Jonah needed to experience in order for his heart to change? And I want to argue this morning that there are times, even as Christians, in which the very thing we need is not just the concept of the grace of God, but the concept of the aggressive grace of God. In my own personal experience, this is what I've learned. There are times in which the Lord, the only thing that he needs to do is, is, is to speak to me, is to come to church and for the preacher to open the Bible and he speaks to me. And that's enough. There are times in which my, in my devotional time, the only thing I need is for the Lord for, to speak to me through his word by the power of the Spirit. There are times in which the only thing I need is some brother or sister in Christ to speak to me. And I'm changed by the words that are, being, that are coming out of this person. My heart is transformed by that. 
But I want to argue, at least in my personal life, and I don't know about you, maybe you are more holy than what I am. But in my personal experience, I've learned that I, I change like that only about 30% of the time. About 70% of my life requires something a little bit more. See, 30% of my life, personal experience, sometimes the concept of grace is enough. But there are other times, maybe 70% of my life, in which I need not just the concept of the grace of God, but the concept of the aggressive grace of God. And if you don't know what that means, let me explain it in simple terms. Sometimes I need for the Lord to allow me to experience pain so everything that I know about God becomes a reality. Sometimes I need the grace, aggressive grace of God to see the magnitude of my sin and the greatness of his love. I think that that's exactly what we find in the text that we're going to be reading this morning. Is Jonah a person chosen by God, that knew God, that has some sort of relationship with God, that knew the word of God, needing not just the concept of the grace of God, but the aggressive grace of God. Now, because we're a family, i got to ask the question, how many of you guys enjoy the aggressive grace of God? Raise your hand. Do you really enjoy it? I don't. If anything, I hate it. But it's so needed. So how about we study that text together? Could you please stand for the reading of God's word? We're going to be reading from Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, and we're going to go all the way to Jonah chapter 2, verse 6. And we're standing up as a sign of reverence to God and his word. If you're still here, could you please say, I'm here. Jonah chapter 1, verse uh, 17, all the way to Jonah chapter 2, verse 6. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. And he said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and, and the currents swirled about me, and your waves and breakers swept over me. Verse 4, I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surround, surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. Let me pray again. Lord, we pray that as we open up your word this morning... Your spirit does what he does best, transform our hearts by using your word and pointing us to Jesus. And we pray for all this in the name of Jesus. And the church says, Amen. you may take a seat. 
All right, this morning, we're going to talk about grace under these three subtitles. We're going to talk about aggressive grace, what that means and why we need it, what aggressive uh, grace does, which is to refine us, and the way we know that this is a for sure thing is because grace is not only aggressive and not only refines, but it's also sacrificial. Aggressive, refining, sacrificial. That doesn't rhyme, but don't worry. The concept is what matters there. Point number one, aggressive grace. I got to give you a little bit of context just in case you haven't been with us here for the last few weeks, right? But if you know, this is a very well-known story. This is a man called by God that is called to speak to, uh, you could say, people that don't have a relationship with God, a place called Tarshish, um, at Nineveh. But instead of going over there, he runs away from God to a place called Tarshish which every time I read that word, that name is funny to me because it sounds like a, like a name that you will give to sushi, right? Tarshish, sushi. Oh, anyway, um, he's trying to run away from God, um, and as he's running away from God, he gets into this huge boat or a ship, if you will, right? And this great wind comes um, and takes over the entire situation. The people that is with Jonah that are not believers, if you will, uh, realize that the one that is uh, responsible for all of this is Jonah, so they throw him overboard into the sea. And as soon as he hits the water, the text says, the raging sea grew calm. Picture that for a second. Imagine that you're here, you are, you go fishing with your friends, and in the midst of this uh, beautiful experience, a storm comes, and you realize that the reason why you are there is because one of your friends sinned. And somehow you realize that the way to fix that problem is to throw that guy overboard, and as soon as you do it, the storm stops. That's kind of what is happening there. Can you imagine what people are going through as they experience this? The first thing, though, that I want you to see, though, is that as they're going through this situation, Jonah makes it extremely clear that the reason why he is saved later on, if you remember the story, the Lord sends this huge fish, is because the Lord provided the salvation. Notice that this is not a random thing. This is not just an accident. This is not something that happened just because. But it is the Lord, the ones that provides what I would call rescuing grace. Now, part of the reason why I find this super interesting is because this is God taking the initiative. Notice that up, up until this point, Jonah has not repented. He has not looked for God. He has not prayed, as I'm going to show you in a second. He hasn't done anything to fix his relationship with God, and yet it is God the one that provides a rescuing grace for him. It is God pursuing Jonah, and it is God the one that saves Jonah. It is God the one that brings the storm, and it is God the one that sends the fish. All of that, it's a reminder that everything that God does is because of his grace. Actually, I would argue that one of the ways in which you know if you are a believer or a Christian is by how much you understand the grace of God. That is the most foundational belief for any believer. If you understand and believe in the grace of God. 
But just in case you don't know or you, uh, you haven't heard of a definition of what that means, let me borrow a definition by uh, Tim Keller. I, I think that he explains it uh, super good. He says, grace is favor granted to an undeserving person by an obligated giver. Grace is being led into a place you don't deserve to be led into by a person who is not obligated to let you be in there either. And he calls it cosmic hospitality. Isn't that a great translation, a great definition? It is God, says uh, Tim Keller, it is God the one, the the God of grace. It is God taking the initiative. It is God inviting us into his presence. It is God bringing us into his presence, even though we don't deserve it. Now, I think that many of us, if you have been in the church for a while, you kind of knew this. And we usually think about this event of the story of Jonah as Jonah being thrown overboard and God saving him automatically. Actually, that's how I remember it. Do you remember, if you grew up in church, going uh, maybe to a Sunday school class in which they show you a picture of Jonah being thrown overboard, and right below that you find a big fish with the mouth open. I could see it. Maybe third grade, I could see it. I close my eyes and I can see it. The boat, little tiny Jonah, going down fish. How many of you guys remember something like that? You know what's interesting, though? That is the product of someone's imagination. That is not what the Bible says. Someone imagined that, that, that Jonah is being thrown overboard, and the Lord sent the fish, and he landed in the boat. Inside the fish. But that's not what the Bible says. It is here when we have to understand the concept of aggressive grace. Because what we see in the text today, in this prayer that Jonah is uh, reciting or having, he's making this prayer from inside the fish. And as he's thinking about this thing, He is using words in the past tense. Before I show you that, let me me point this to you. This is the first time in the entire story in which Jonah prays. This is the first time in which this prophet prays. He did not speak to God when he called him to speak to Nineveh. He did not speak to God when he decided to run. He did not speak to God in the middle of the storm. He did not speak to God when he's about to be thrown overboard. He does not speak to God up until this point. Doesn't that tell you something about Jonah's heart? Doesn't that tell you something about how hard Jonah's heart was? See, I believe that the reason why we need to pray It's because when we pray, we are confessing that we need him. See, part of the reason why we need to pray is because we want him to do things that we just can't do. See, part of the reason why we need to pray is because we are recognizing that he's powerful and we are not. 
See, part of the reason why I think that we need to pray, because he's the one that can do something and wants to do something. See, to not pray actually shows how prideful we are and how self-sufficient we are. That's the picture of Jonah. But because the Lord knows that that's what's happening inside of the heart of Jonah, he exercises what I'm calling aggressive grace. He's going to take him to a point in which he must recognize that God is God and he's not. The aggressive grace of God will take you to a place in which you must recognize that God is God and you are not. So what I want to show you, though, is what happened between the boat and the fish. Because I think that the Bible shows us that Jonah, in fact, was thrown overboard. But he landed in the water. And he stayed there for a while before God sent the fish. How do I know that? Look at how he speaks in verse 2. In my distress, I called past to the Lord. Notice, notice that he doesn't say from inside the fish, I called the Lord in the present. I called past tense the Lord. And he answered me from deep in the realm of the dead. And I put the word there, shield. A shield because that's the word that is used in the original. I called for help and you listened to my cry. It is from inside the fish that he's remembering and praying about something that God did when he was outside the fish. This is the reason why he uses words like distress. The word distress can be translated in different ways, but one of the translations uh, is the word anguish or anxiety or need. And what Jonah is saying is that he found himself in a place in which he's experiencing all these things to the point that he needs to call upon the Lord, something that he did not do before. When he uses the phrase, the realm of the dead, this is a phrase that appears more than 60 times only in the Old Testament. And it's an important phrase because it talks about this place or this feeling in which someone feels that Satan is in control and God is absent. This is what Jonah is experiencing as he's trying to survive. This is what Jonah's experiencing as he's drowning in the midst of all this humongous ocean. This is Jonah calling out to God because he, want, he found himself in a place of no hope. Once again, the Lord needed to take him there in order for the Lord to transform his heart. How do I know that this was the Lord's doing? How do I know that this was not just a random thing that happened? Well, because in verse 3, he tells you, you hurled me, you threw me into the depths. You did it into the very heart of the seas. And then at the end, he says, it is your waves. It was your doing. 
Question, church. Have you ever been that honest with God? You did it. You brought this or you allowed this. You did it. It's interesting because if you know the story, you actually know that it was the sailors, the ones that threw him down. And that is true. But it's also true that behind that, the Lord was the one doing all of this. Because he wanted to take Jonah to that place. It's aggressive grace. It is the Lord using and bringing all of this to transform the heart of Jonah. But if you read the text carefully, you notice that this is not a complaint. Actually, we know that this prayer is a thanksgiving prayer. This is not an angry prayer. You did it, Lord. This is a thanksgiving prayer. It's not complaining, it's recognizing that as, he drown, that, that as he's drowning, as he's fighting for his life, he understands at that point that the Lord was doing this for the sake of his soul. How many of you guys would love that the Lord would do that more often? And yet, it is needed. See, this is one of the things that only Christians can understand, you know? This is one of those things that non-Christians have a hard time accepting. Actually, I found that this is one of the arguments that non-Christians have against Christianity. They would say something like, how can a God of love will do such a thing? If God is love, why would God bring or allow things like that into our lives? Why would God do that? That's a monster, they would say. And if that's your case, even as a Christian, I, I want to convince you that it's precisely because God is love that God experiences anger and that he will bring these this kind of things into your life. It is precisely because our God is a God of love that he experiences anger when he sees our sin and he has to do something about it. I want to give you two arguments. This is the first argument. Because at a human level, I can understand that. How many of you guys are parents? Please raise your hand. Isn't it true that that's what you felt or what you feel when you see something in your kids that has the potential to harm them? See, I don't see, I don't, I, I don't see my, 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 my daughter's misbehaving or doing something that is harmful to them, and I say, oh, that's beautiful. I don't do that. I don't look at my daughters when they're struggling, and I say, oh, it's all right. This too shall pass. I don't do that. As a father, as a good father, I take the time, and I look at the things that are destroying them, and I hate that. And I experience what I will call this holy anger because that thing is destroying them. And I must do something to save them. Isn't that true? 
If I'm a sinful person, and that's what I experience, can you imagine what our holy God experienced? Because he loves you. Let me read this quote by Michael Reeves. He's a theologian that we have been reading here at church. And this is the argument that he's going to make. That the opposite of love is not anger. That the opposite of love is indifference. That the opposite of love is not anger, but that the opposite of love is indifference. Look at what he says. God is angry at evil because he loves. Because it is not that God is naturally angry, but that evil provokes him. In his pure love, God cannot tolerate evil. Love cares. And that means that he cannot be indifferent to evil. God loves his children and so hates their, their being oppressed. He loves his world and so hates all evil in it. Thus in his love, he roots out sin in his people. Even discipline in them that they might be freed from their captivity to it. Is that the picture that you have of God? See, aggressive grace is grace still. See, aggressive grace is still love. And it's not because he hates you, but because he loves you. I said it already, but that's one of the things that I struggle with every time I go through things like this. I still don't like it, but I've learned to appreciate it and welcome it. Because behind aggressive grace, you always find aggressive love. So the question that we have to answer then, the second question we have to answer is, what is it that we ought to do when the Lord brings or allows these kind of things into our lives? Because God will bring and God will allow these things into your life. How is it that we are to respond? Well, point number two, let's talk about refining grace. So my wife and I just came back from uh, taking a few, uh, few days off because we just turned 20 years together. Mary, right? Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. And we wanted to take some time off and just do this. Nothing. So we walk away from our daughters because that's a lot of work, right? And we walk away from the church because that's a lot of work. And we walk away from everything that will cause distress and pain. So one of the things that we did is just went out and spent a lot of time together talking and relaxing. One of the things that we do to relax is we actually watch shows together. And one of the shows we watched this week is about this uh, lady that has this amazing organizing skill. And what she does is she goes to people's homes um, because they, they call her, right? And she finds a way to fix their mess. It's an amazing show. And the process is simple, actually. She goes to these people and it says, okay, what you got to do is look at all your mess, right? And you have to take a hard look into the things you have and say, these things I must have and these things I must let go. Uh, and because we like to be productive, my wife and I, we watched three of those shows in a row. And as we watch in this show, we noticed that there were two things that everyone had in common. One 
The people that are asking for help was the people that were desperate already. See, you need to get to a point of desperation before you ask for help. That's the reason why they call this lady. So they needed to look out, to look for someone to help them because they were already buried with their mess. But the second thing that all these people had in common is that they had to be completely honest about the things that they did not want to let go. Honesty is part of the requirements. So it's super interesting because at the beginning you see these people saying, well, you know, I want to let this go, but I can't because this reminds me of who knows what. And the lady says, time and time again, be honest. Why is it that you cannot let it go? And if you notice, it's this dual dynamic, right? In order for them to change, they had to learn how to look in and look at the stuff that they're struggling with, and they had to look up or look out in order for them to be helped. And I think that's exactly what Jonah is doing here. What Jonah is doing here, as God is allowing or sending this aggressive grace into his life, he is learning how to look in and look up. He's trying to be honest to recognize who he really is and the things that he struggles with, and at the same time, he's learning how to look up. And he does it in three different occasions, and I'm going to show you this really quick. He does it in verse 2 first. When he talks about the realm of the dead, um, this is important. I told you already that in the, in the Old Testament, this was the place in which Satan is in control and the presence of God is not perceived. But this concept also means that you deserve divine punishment. So look at how Jonah is dealing with his heart. There is no arguments. There are no excuses. There is no justification there is no blame shifting, just honesty. As he's trying to fight for his life, he says this. I deserve the divine punishment of God. Have you ever said that to yourself? I still deserve the divine punishment of God. But notice that he doesn't stop there. He immediately says, I call for help, and you listened to my cry. See, in the midst, on one end, he sees how sinful he is, and automatically he looks at the one that can help him. He doesn't stay with one of these things. He doesn't both at the same time. Look at the reality of my heart, but look at who my God is. He does it again in verse 4. He says, um, he says, I have been banished from your side. The word banished there, it's a word that means uh, judgment. I deserve the judgment of God, Jonah says, but immediately he says, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. This is super interesting because in the midst of his struggle, he remembers the temple, and he's in the temple where you find the mercy seat. And it's the mercy seat in which, and the mercy seat is sprinkled with the blood of the sacrificed uh, lamb. So in a way, he is recognizing that he deserves the judgment of God, but he also remembers that God is a God of mercy, 
that provided a way in order for him to be forgiven at the same time. He does it again in verse 6. He says that he's barred in forever, meaning that he's a slave to his own sin. This is a metaphor. He recognizes not only that he deserves the punishment of God, the judgment of God, but he also recognizes that he's still bound to his sin. But immediately, he says, uh, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. But it is you, God, the one that can save me and deliver me. Listen up, church. Not just deliver me. Did I put that right? Yeah. Not just deliver me from punishment. Not just deliver me from judgment. But deliver me from my sin. You know what's crazy? He's still inside the fish. He doesn't know that something else is going to happen later on. He is experiencing the grace of God, the rescuing grace of God, the refining grace of God, the aggressive grace of God inside the fish. See, there are three types of people, as someone said. The ones that magnify their sin, and they could never see the way out. And they're completely controlled by their guilt and shame. The second group of people, this person says, is the ones that undermine sin but magnify the mercy of God to the point that they don't think that dealing with your sin is important. They turn grace into a cheap grace. But there's a third group of people that I call Christians. And are the Christians that I can actually see these two things at the same time. See the magnitude of your sin and see the amazing grace of God at once. It is the one that recognizes that we're bound to our sin and yet that there's deliverance in Jesus. That is the one that we're not as good as we think we are, but at the same time that God is much better than what we think he is. This is the reason why I love the quote by Jack Miller. He says, cheer up. Church, cheer up. You are worse sinner than what you ever dared to imagine. And you are more loved than you ever dared hope. Church, how do we know that this is true? How do we know that aggressive grace can turn into refining grace? How do we know that the Lord is doing something there? Well, point number three, and this is going to be super fast. I hope. See, the reason why we know that when God is exercising aggressive grace is not for our destruction, but for our refining, is precisely because we also have something better than what Jonah had. You remember verse 4 when he talks about the temple? He had a concept. And he had an animal that had died for his sin. But we have the better temple. We have Jesus Christ. That is not only the temple, but the animal that was sacrificed for our sin. 
See, the reason why we know that the Lord is doing something that he's never going to let us go is because we're not just sprinkled with the blood of Jesus, but we are covered by the blood of Jesus. See, we have something better than what Jonah had. He had a concept. We have a person. He had an idea. We have a redeemer. He had an animal. We have a savior. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful that we can recognize that all grace is good grace. That aggressive grace is needed because sometimes that is the only way we change. Lord, I am not praying that you continue to send aggressive, aggressive grace into our lives. I'm not praying that. But, I'm, but I am praying that if you do that, Lord, you help us to look in and to look up. To not be condemned by our sin, but be, but be amazed by your grace. That in the midst of everything that we go through, not only we see the reality of our hearts, but we see the reality of your heart. I pray, Lord, that as we go through things in life, we may be able to see that behind aggressive grace, there's always aggressive love. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says, Jesus, come to Jesus, come to Jesus and live. Now your burdens lifted and carried far away, and precious blood has washed away the stain. So sing to Jesus, sing to Jesus, sing to Jesus, and live. And like a newborn baby, don't be afraid to crawl, and remember when you walk, sometimes you fall. So fall on Jesus, fall on Jesus, fall on Jesus, and live. Sometimes the way is lonely and steep and filled with pain. So if your sky is dark 
and pours the rain. Then cry to Jesus, cry to Jesus, cry to Jesus and live. spills over and music fills the night and when you can't contain your joy inside then dance for Jesus dance for Jesus dance for Jesus and your final heartbeat kiss the world goodbye then go in peace and laugh on glory's side and fly to Jesus fly to Jesus fly to Jesus and Jesus, fly to Jesus, and live. Did you know that in God's design, one of the ways we fly to Jesus is by participating in communion. See, we have to fly to Jesus once we do actually what Jonah did. Actually, if you pay attention, the communion is similar to what Jonah did. You first got to look in, and then you got to look up. The Bible calls us to examine our hearts. The Bible calls us to recognize that we're sinners and come before him and repent. And then he calls us to look up, to remember Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, to remember that he died for our sins so we don't stay condemned. So this is the reason why we're going to do this as a church this morning. If you are a Christian, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you really believe that Jesus is the way, the, the, way, the truth, and the life, if you really believe that he's the only way into the Father, into the presence of the Father, I want to invite you to participate in communion. So I'm going to ask you to please uh, remove the, the first cover of your cup. Um, that's okay. You could take your time because I need time. All right, so this is not working. I'll get there one day before the next service. Yeah, can I get an, oh, thank you so much. You could have that and then you struggle. All right. 
Just grab the bread first. I want to give you, before we participate, just a few seconds to examine your heart. Is there anything that you need to surrender to the Lord? Please do that now. Just a few seconds. Examine your heart. The Bible says that on the night when the, Lord, he was, when the Lord was betrayed, he took the bread and gave thanks and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You may participate. Now we can remove the second cover of the cup. And the Bible says that in the same way, the Lord Jesus took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. You may participate. Do you know why is it that the Lord uses the word covenant when we participate in communion? It's so that we remember that as Christians, because of Jesus, God is in a covenant relationship with us. Meaning that it doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter what you are doing. It doesn't matter what you would do. If you repent, he will never let you go. And even if you haven't repented, he will never let you go. And therefore, you will repent. So how about if you stand, and I want to invite you to sing this song together that talks about the covenant love of God. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold, he must hold me fast.
Christ will hold me fast, precious in His holy sight. He will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last, bought by Him as such a cause. Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. Raise with him to endless life. He will hold me fast till our faith is turned to side. Before finishing our services, I have uh, three things that I want to remind you of. Number one, um, I want to invite you to continue to support the church financially, and you can do that in two different ways. You can do that online, or as you exit the building, you will find some boxes by the entrances. You, all you have to do is put your millions there as you leave, all right? Second thing is we love to pray for you, so please let us know every Tuesday we pray for the congregation. Please let us know how we can support you in prayer. And number three, I want you to keep a couple of uh, important dates in mind. Number one, the first date is August 29. We are going back to our regular pre-COVID times of worship. It's going to be 9 and 10.30. Now, on August 29, we're going to start like a five-week celebration thing as a church. Um, and Pastor Rob is going to be preaching from his heart to us before the Lord sends them to his nest next chapter in life. So we're going to have uh, two services at 9 and 10.30, and it's going to be combined services here. All right? Keep that in mind. But then in uh, October 3rd, we're going to go back 
to the way we were pre-COVID, meaning that we're going to have two traditional services in the East, and we're going to have two contemporary services here in the West. Um, and the reason why you need to keep those in mind is because as we go back to more normal, we need more volunteers. Children need volunteers. Tech need volunteers. So we're going to need all of you to be involved some way, somehow, to serve the church and then uh, to do what we're supposed to do. Amen? Now, let's, with that in mind, let's receive uh, the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And the church says, thanks for coming. We love you, church. You are sent. Have a blessed day.